Well, glory to God. We're going to get into the word this morning. I want to talk to you about the blood of Jesus. Um, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 3. We're going to talk about having faith in his blood. Faith in his blood. You know, um, last time pastor was out and I ministered back on the uh, 4th of July weekend. I also ministered along the lines of the blood of Jesus and uh, something has happened to me. Um, what, what has happened to me is I just can't get enough of studying, hearing about, reading about, talking about the blood of Jesus, the significance of a sacrifice, the significance of the Lord's table that we're going to partaking later today. And so, since I can't get enough of it, y'all going to get some more of it. <laughs> but I, I do believe that, uh, that this is clearly the Lord's direction for us today. Romans chapter 3. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I want to uh, uh, read, let's start reading with verse 24. It says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Without that word propitiation, just to uh, fill you in a little bit, the, the, uh, the Greek word as it's used there actually is a reference to the mercy seat. Which is interesting, the mercy seat uh, being a significant part of the Old Testament tabernacle was actually the place where blood was sprinkled and also the place where God said, I will meet with you. What God said uh, as, as he was given the commands concerning how to, how to build and how to construct the tabernacle that the Israelites had out in the wilderness. He said, there I will meet with you. And he was talking about that very place from above the mercy seat. The, those, those of you that, that have a, uh, an image in your mind of the Ark of the Covenant, what the Ark looked like, you, you had those two angels that were looking right at each other. And, and that was the point where God said, that's where I'm going to talk to you from. Back in those times of the old covenant. As they were uh, uh, traveling with that tabernacle through the wilderness. But that word uh, propitiation also means an appeasing. What God appeased, let me tell you what God appeased, the wrath of God got appeased, which is something I'm very glad about. How are you? 
But also, it actually means uh, expiation, which is a big word. I thought, what does that mean? And, and, and then it linked me to another word called expiate. What does that mean? Literally, to pay the penalty for or to make amends. Is there anybody besides me that is glad this morning that that is what Jesus did for you? That he appeased the wrath of God, that if he didn't appease it, it would have come on you and me. Paid the penalty for. If he didn't pay it, somebody would have had to pay it. And if it wasn't him, it would have been us. So thank God so much for that word, propitiation. Uh, the, the Phillips translation here uh, says in a very inter- interesting way, it says God has appointed him as the means of propitiation. A propitiation which is accomplished by the shedding of his blood to be received and made effective in ourselves by faith. Key words there. To be received and made and made effective in ourselves by faith. But I think the, the translation of this that really hit me the best. Was the original King James. Which says whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus through faith in his blood. It says that we can declare his righteousness. Now it it says it in really two phases. First of all, it says that through faith in his blood, we declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. But then in the next verse, it's a little repetitive, but yet you see a clear and distinct difference. He says to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness. So what's happening is that through faith in his blood, we are put in a position to declare his righteousness regarding sins that are past. And also we can declare his righteousness right now in this present time. The good news about that is that when the enemy brings a picture of your past before you, mistakes that you've made, sins you've committed, things from your past life that you'd like to leave back there, buddy. He's fishing back there and trying to bring it up and show it to you again. But for those of us who have made the determination to have faith in his blood, faith in the work that that blood has done for us, faith in the results that the Bible says we have and the blessings that we have because of the blood, we choose to declare his righteousness about our past 
And when it comes to this present time, we are still declaring his righteousness. But you know, the Bible doesn't say anything about the future. It says something about the past. It says something about the present time. But what about the future? Well, it's a real easy answer. When the future gets here, it'll be the present time. (laughs) So you are covered. And through faith in his blood, you and I are in a position to declare his righteousness. Now, you see, what the enemy would like us to do is to declare something else. See, some people gone to the other side of the spectrum and have declared their own righteousness. Say, I'm a good person. <laughs> you know, I, I, I do good things. Uh, you know, I, I'm nice. I, I, I don't run cuss or chew or, I mean, uh, steal cuss or chew or run with those who do, however that little saying goes. But, but, but the, the thing is, is that we are not exercising faith in his blood if we're talking about our righteousness and about how good we are. The Bible says enough about our righteousness. Yeah, the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. That doesn't say a whole lot about ours. But we're not talking about ours. The scripture is very specific when it says to declare his righteousness. Because he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And we have been given the gift of his own righteousness. Mm. Not someone else's, not yours. The righteousness that we have is his. And he put it into your account and into my account, which is good because if not for that, we wouldn't have anything in the account. As a matter of fact, our account by itself has nothing on the black side. It's all on the red side, nothing on the plus side. It's all on the minus side. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus has made us, declared us righteous. And so by us declaring his righteousness, we are agreeing with him. We are saying the same thing as him. We are saying what the blood covenant says. We're agreeing with the blood. We are exercising faith in his blood. Some declare their own righteousness. Some declare their guilt and their unworthiness. I think there are more people that do that than the other. Because you remember where you were, what you did, how you did it, who you were with when you did it. All the details of the skeletons in our closet. That the enemy likes to bring up over and over and over again. But the scripture does not tell us to declare our righteousness and the scripture does not tell us to declare our unworthiness or our guilt either. The scriptures tell us to declare his righteousness for the things that are past and for the present. But the way that you do that 
is how? Through faith in his blood. Why don't you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11? There is no way that you can uh, talk about the blood without taking the trip to the book of Hebrews. Now, of course, we know this faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, so us developing our faith in the blood of Jesus and what the blood of Jesus has done for us comes by hearing what the blood of Jesus has done for us. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But also we realize this, that faith is an act. And there is an act for us. You see, as far as the acts that Jesus needed to do, those are done. He shed his blood once and for all. The, the job is done as far as Jesus is concerned. He entered into the heavenly holy of holies. You know, there was one here on earth that Moses built. But the one that Moses built was based on the pattern of the, the real one that was in heaven. And Jesus went not into the, the earthly tabernacle and the earthly holy of holies. But he went into the very real one out of which, based on which the earthly one was built, went into heaven itself with his own blood. And so what Jesus did is done. But as far as us, we've got something to do. Don't you know Revelation 12, 11 says that they overcame the devil, the accuser of the brethren, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and that they loved not their lives unto death. Realize this, that the blood of the lamb, that was his part. The word of your testimony, that's our part. And there is something about us acting in faith and speaking in faith and coming into agreement with the blood. Coming into agreement with what the word tells us that the blood has accomplished for us. Because faith, we're talking about faith in the blood. Faith is based on what? Well, faith comes by hearing. But, but how do I know that you're believing something? Well, the Bible says over in 2 Corinthians 4, quoting what the Old Testament says. We believe and therefore we speak. So what you believe is going to escape out of your mouth. What you speak shows me what you believe. 
And so to exercise faith in his blood, a big part of that is the word of our testimony. What you say, what you say about what the word says, what you say about how that word is not just nice for somebody else. No, it's not just for somebody else. It's for me. Your approach to that matters so much because you can think, oh, that's a nice book with a whole lot of nice things. Yeah, that's all nice what the blood of Jesus has done. But there's something that happens when you take it personally, when you start acting like it was done for you, when you start acting like the blood was shed for you, when you start acting like this covenant that took place between God, the son and Jesus, the God man was for your benefit. There's something that happens there where you, you there's just a fire in your belly that ain't going to be put out. And you are going to speak the word regarding what the Bible says the blood has provided for you. And you're going to speak it with confidence. And you're going to speak it like, like, like you're a man or a woman on a mission. Because you know what? It's time for us to really be in faith. Think about it. It's not time for us to kind of be floating around here and floating around there and, uh, uh, you know, mentally agreeing with the Bible. But, but, but it doesn't go any further than mental agreement. Mental agreement doesn't get the job done. Faith is an act. Do you agree with that book enough to act like it's true? Do you agree with that book enough to act like it's true when you got a loved one in the hospital and the doctors don't say uh, that, that it's going to turn out real well. Do you think that the doctor has the final say so? You say, well, the Lord has the final say so. Well, you know what? That is partly true. But in order to get the Lord's final say so to work for you, you got to agree with him and say the same thing he says about it. See, we thought it was automatic. We think it just fall on us like fruit off the tree. But no, you got to agree with him. Cause whether, you know, it's interesting. Pastor John has brought this up very often in the context of teaching faith. And I think it's one of the greatest illustrations in the Bible of this fact that Jairus whose daughter was sick and he came to Jesus and asked Jesus to come and he said, lay your hands on her and she shall live. And Jesus said, I'll come. But along the way, the woman with the issue of blood was there (laughs) and to stop the processional, shall we say. And then uh, in the process of time, some other people came from Jairus' house And said, no need to trouble the master any further. Your daughter is dead. Jesus turns to him and makes this statement. Be not afraid, only believe. Why did Jesus make that statement? I'm going to tell you why. Because what Jairus did 
would have an impact on how that situation would ultimately turn out. I want that to sink in. It wasn't all up to Jesus. Because if it was all up to Jesus, why would Jesus ever need to make a statement like that to him? Hello? Oh, this is this working on somebody. I feel it. Hey, now, I feel it. So I want you to understand that. That Jesus spoke to him to do something very specific and also to not do something very specific. Do not be afraid. Only believe. Why did Jesus say that? I'm going to say it to you one more time. Jesus said that to him because whether he was afraid or whether he would believe would have an impact on what the ultimate outcome of his daughter's situation was. But because he made the right choice and was not afraid but believed, his daughter was raised from the dead. Hallelujah. Well, that was for somebody. Hebrews 11, are you there? Talking about faith in his blood. Hebrews 11, verse 28. It says, through faith, he, that being Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. Lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. This is talking about that original Passover night. Exodus chapter 12. Where God instructed Moses and all the children of Israel to do this very thing. Because the death angel was going to pass through. And the firstborn of every house was going to die that night. Except for those who had the blood of an innocent lamb on the two side posts and the lintel of that door. And the scripture says here that Moses, by faith, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood. Somebody say faith in the blood. Faith in the blood. blood. He did this with absolute surety and confidence that by so doing, the death angel would not be able to get in that door because there was blood beside that door and above that door and there was no way the death angel could get in to one of those houses. Now, let me say something to you. The way that you take the blood of Jesus and apply it to your life To your door, whether it's the door of your house to protect you and your family and your goods there. Or whether it's the door of your mind to keep your mind right. Yeah, I tell you, don't don't you know this, that the number one way the devil tries to get into you and into the affairs of your life is through your mind. So I know one good door to have some blood on. Hey! Have some blood on the door of your mind. Lay your hands on your head. Say the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. 
I'll tell you, you know, about three weeks ago, I laying in bed early in the morning and I just got the nuttiest, craziest thought right out of the pit of hell. And you said, Pastor Ray, how could you think such a thing? But I wasn't thinking it. You got to understand that did not come from in here. It came from the outside and it was trying to get in. See, some, some of you beat yourself up and say, how could you think such a thing? But you ain't even thought it yet. You're beating yourself up just because you're tempted. But being tempted is not a sin. Jesus himself was tempted. But what to do? You don't allow what's knocking on the door to get access. And I tell you, right there, 6.30 in the morning, that morning, whatever time it was, I just put my hand on my head as I was laying there on that pillow. And I said, the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. And as soon, as quickly as that crazy thought came, that crazy thought left, I tell you. The blood of Jesus on the door of your mind. Come on, somebody, that'll help you out. So how do you apply the blood as Moses applied the blood by faith? You speak it. You speak the word. What the word says about the blood of Jesus and what that blood has provided for you. You know, it's interesting. I had a thought this morning. My daughter, who is soon to be three, and of course, many of you have toddlers as well. So some of you are glad those days are done, but, but we're having fun with these days. But I've heard my wife make a statement to our daughter in recent time. And it's this. She would tell her to use your words. Isn't that interesting? Because it's right at that stage where you, 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 you see something you want and you want to make noises. Ah, ah, ah. Or... I want, I want, I want, I want, you know, or, or, or some kind of other way of her trying to signal something that she's trying to communicate. And I've heard mama say, use your words, which is a good part of training for children that age. And I tell you, I sense the Holy Ghost saying to the church this morning. Use your words. Use your words. Use your words. I'll tell you, the the, the days of wishing and hoping has got to be done. Because wishing and hoping ain't going to get the job done. Use your words. Speak it out. Say it. The Bible emphasizes that so much. And the fact that if we're going to overcome the enemy, it's going to be by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. We don't have to worry about the blood. Jesus took care of that. That blood is shed. That blood ratified the new and everlasting agreement that's done. But your words and whether your words agree with that blood or not is the ticket. Use your words. Use your words. God knows my heart. Fooey, use your words. You know, I tell you, that, that, that's right up there with the God that says, I praise God in my own way. 
You ain't praising the Lord. Got to use your mouth. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my Use your words, somebody. Use your words. Speak the word. Say it. You overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. Oh, yeah. Hebrews 10. My goodness. Someone say faith in his blood. Well, in order to really walk in this, you need to know what the word says the blood does for you. And so I just want to kind of get you stirred up and fired up along those lines. You need to know what the word does for you and then speak that out. That is really what the old Pentecostals called pleading the blood. Because my definition of pleading the blood is when you are speaking out and when you are making a case regarding what the Bible says the blood provides for you. And with your words, you are staking a claim on that provision. Oh, come on, somebody. Hebrews 10. My goodness. Look at verse 19. It says, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, By the blood of Jesus. Now, first of all, get this before we go on. We're going to read a little bit more here. But this word boldness is amazing. I just looked it up this morning in Strong's Concordance, the lexicon there in the back, where it defines Greek words. And some some of the definitions of this word astounded me. One particular word was outspokenness. To be outspoken. It literally said outspokenness. Frankness. Bluntness. Boldness of speech. Well, well, well. So with boldness of speech. With outspokenness. We can come. Into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Verse 20. By a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil. That is to say his flesh. So how do we get in there? Well we know we got access. We've got boldness to enter. Boldness of speech to enter. By the blood of Jesus. But then it also says. That we have access. By this new and living way. Through the veil. And of course. In that wonderful. Tabernacle. We know that there was a veil. 
that was between all the other areas and that most holy area, the Holy of Holies. How many of you have heard of that veil before in the scripture? That was part of the construction of that tabernacle. Now, the scripture says here that that veil is his flesh. So what that tells me is that when his flesh was torn, that veil also was torn. That actual physical veil in the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. Signifying that the way was now open. But yet, there still is a veil to go through. What's the veil to go through to get there? Well, the Bible has just made it real clear here. We get access to that holy place by the blood of Jesus and by the broken body of Jesus. His body and his blood. The veil, that is to say, his flesh. His flesh that was torn for you. His body that was broken for you. His blood that was shed for you is the way that we have access into this most holy place. Now let us keep on reading. (laughs) Oh yeah. Verse 21. And having an high priest over the household of God. Verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Someone say faith in the blood. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. My goodness. So how can I draw near? I, there's this wonderful way opened up to me that I can have access to the holy place. The holiest place. I have access to that by the blood of Jesus and by going through the veil, his broken body. So by his broken body and his shed blood, I have access. But how do I draw near? The Bible tells you how to do it. Draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. And what that body and blood has provided for you. Full assurance of faith. And what that body and blood has has accomplished for you. Made available for you. Made accessible to you. Then it goes on to say. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. You know, that's an interesting thing there, that line, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Because I want you to know that that word sprinkled, you know what it's talking about? It's talking about blood. Bible talks about 1 Peter 1 verse 2, the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. The Bible talks about Hebrews 12 verse 24, referring to the blood of Jesus as the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than what Abel's blood was speaking. Remember Abel's blood? 
And God said that the voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Well, there's a voice to the blood of Jesus as well. And the scripture says that Jesus' blood, that blood of sprinkling, is speaking better things than what Abel's blood was speaking. Hallelujah. And it's speaking to us today. Glory be to God. So, this blood of sprinkling, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. You know, it's, it's interesting to think that the blood of Jesus literally does something about our conscience. How many of you have had a guilty conscience before? How many of you have overrode your conscience before? Where your conscience told you to do one thing, but you did something else. But the blood of Jesus has the ability in it to do something about our conscience. I... I like the word deep cleaning. Because it's like, Lord, I, it, it, Lord, it's, sometimes I, I think it's one thing to be cleansed and, and, and another thing to be deep clean. Lord, I need a deep cleaning. I need to be steam cleaned. <laughs> Anybody relate to that sense? Say, so, Lord, I, I need more than the surface done. I need in between the cracks and, and around the corner and the... Uh, uh, you know, I mean, I just, uh, you, you know, it's like you go to the car wash and you can get, you know, a, a, a car wash or wash and wax. But then there's another thing called the works. And like, Lord, that's what I need. I need the works. Well, the blood of Jesus will do the works for you. The scripture says in Hebrews 9, of course, also, it says here that that Old Testament way of doing things and the reason why there had to be a new covenant to begin with is that the Old Testament way could not make the conscience perfect. It says right there in Hebrews 9 and uh, let's see, that's verse, uh, verse 9. But then down in uh, a little bit uh, later, and, and since you're right there, you can look at it with me. Hebrews 9 verse 12 through 14. It says, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Think about that. Your conscience being purged from dead works to serve the living God. The dead works getting purged out and you being set free to serve God the way you know you're supposed to be serving God. The blood does that for you. Now back to Hebrews 10. So we're reading all this. We're reading about the the blood of Jesus and his body, his broken body, the veil. 
We're reading about verse 22, drawing near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That's what we're talking about, faith in the blood. And then look what the next verse says. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith or the confession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised. One thing that's important about scripture is to realize the context and the context of verse 23 is clearly in the context of faith in his blood. Faith in that way that has been made available to us. It's that, that, that blood that was shed that gives us access to the holy place. It's that broken body, which is the veil that we can go through into his presence. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith in his blood covenant. Faith in the blood. And today, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Is this a ritual? Is this something we do once a month? Or do we really get it? Do we really get it? You know, the book of Acts says that they went from house to house breaking bread. That means more than just having dinner. They did that too. But breaking of bread is a term in scripture referring to the Lord's table. How real is this act of memorializing him to us? Well, I tell you, we don't get to have it like we're going to have it. But I believe the Holy Ghost has taken us places and opening our eyes and causing us to see things and get things and understand things that we've not previously understood. And I believe that he's on a road to helping us have a whole new understanding and appreciation for the Lord's table that we've not had before. Let me close with this thought. Remember Luke chapter 24, there's that passage that that we've all lovingly referred to over the years as the the road to Emmaus. Of course, there were two of Jesus' followers there walking along the road. And then Jesus joined with them. They didn't recognize him. The scripture says that their eyes were actually held back from recognizing him. And so they're walking along and, uh, you know, uh, start talking about the, the news of the day. And the news of the day was what happened to Jesus. That was still front page of the Jerusalem Times. And Jesus just acted like, 
Well, what are y'all talking about? What things? Don't you know about the things that are going on? Jesus said, what things? And they told him. And Jesus' response was, oh, fools, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And Jesus went on to talk to them along this road. And I tell you, uh, if, if there are CD orders in heaven, I want this CD. I want to hear Jesus talk about himself all the way from the law and the the Psalms and the prophets. I want that CD, y'all. And that's what Jesus did. And so they got to a point where they were going to turn off the road and go to the the, the house they were going to. And Jesus was going to go on, but they said, please come stay with us. So Jesus came in. They sat down at the table. He picked up bread, blessed it, and broke it, and vanished out of their sight. And the wording of what they said when they went and told the others is what blows me away. They came and reported to the others all that was done and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. I want you to know in this very place today that he can be known of you today in the breaking of bread. What we're about to do right here, you need to know him as savior. You can know him as savior. You need to know him as healer. You can know him as healer. You need deliverance. You can know him as deliverer. He can be known of you in the breaking of bread. This is not just tradition. That's something we do. This is reality. There's power in this. When you do it on the basis of having Faith in his blood. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness today. We honor you. Thank you for the wonderful presence of Jesus in this place. 